0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.
1: Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods,
2: Has the news got you unsettled and worried? Feeling uncomfortable with the absolute state of things? Well, one way to help that unnerving feeling of discomfort is by heading over to British-Boxers.com where they do knockout undies and nightwear and you'll be as snug as a bug in some very nice pants as you swear in despair at the television. Not only do British boxers have luxurious two-fold cotton on all of their clothes, but they're also a lovely ethical bunch who respect workers' rights, manufacture all their stuff with minimal waste, and, I mean, actually, they're almost too nice a bunch. It's ridiculous. Hasn't anyone dug up any dirt on them? Have they ever returned a library book back late or something? Wow, no, not even... Oh my goodness. Well, if you grab great garms from BritishBoxers.com, then use the code PARPOLBRO15 at the checkout and you'll get a swanky 15% off whatever you buy, which will hopefully make you feel less sad that you're just not as good as them. Sorry, I'm just projecting now. British-Boxers.com. They must have once done swears at someone's pocket. No, not even that. Bonkers. Bonkers. I'm not sure what Hello and welcome to the Partly Political Broadcast, the comedy politics podcast that is an expert on unsuccessful plans to boost growth. I'm Tina Duyeb but this week as Chancellor and paperweight for a head, Kwasi Kwarteng, says his mini-budget was not a gamble with the UK economy, but a reboot. I ask if that's true, then why didn't he properly follow the trend of reboots by having an entirely new cast, aim it at a younger generation and really piss off all existing fan bases. What do you imagine when you hear the term trickle-down economy? For me, it's someone with loads and loads of money spraying a free flow of piss out of a penthouse apartment and everyone in the slums on the streets below desperately trying to catch drops of it in a cup. The idea has been in regular use in politics for quite some years that the best way to grow an economy is to give the rich people even more money and then that money trickles down to those who actually need it. Yes, of course it does. You know, in the same way if there's someone that's really, really hungry and I eat a sandwich, eventually they will be full of sandwich too. No, wait, no, hang on. No, they can gather crumbs that fall off my sandwich. Or maybe just through some sort of grub osmosis, they too will feel full from sheer selfless empathy for my loaded tummy. What's happened in previous years is that those with money have gained more and more of it, and to benefit the rest of the country, they've avoided tax by putting that money into offshore accounts, laundered it through property, or started a brand new Lord of the Rings TV series. Which, to be fair, I'm really enjoying as my weekly dose of escapism. Oh shit, is that how trickle-down works? Economics can be hard to understand, but let me put it like this, if you give workers a pay rise, they will spend their money on food, goods, other services, things that put money back into the economy and support businesses and other people, and that will definitely, definitely cause inflation. How? I mean, why would you ask a complicated question like that? It just will, okay? All right, stop it. Whereas if you remove the cap on bankers' bonuses, they'll put their money into secretive banking systems and cocaine dealers' pockets, and then one day, if you just believe in her really hard, the money fairy will deposit a rolled-up £10 into one of your orifices with unnecessary force. It's very clear which way is best, isn't it? On Friday, wannabe anime villain and chancellor, Kwasi Kwarteng, unceremoniously unleashed a stream of urine over the entire country, bar maybe 5% of it, who'd specifically lobbied him to piss on others. It wasn't really a mini-budget, unless you can say that by removing all the actual cost calculations and forecasts, that somehow reduced its size. Like if you had an uncooked pie and said, no, it's not that we haven't bothered doing the most important bit, it's just, you know, a little pie that only very rich households can have a piece of. Kuateng said his fiscal plans would herald a new era for the UK, but he didn't specify what type of era, and if this one meant that we were leaving the modern era to descend into something a bit more like the very early ones, but with the internet making it worse. This is Era, if you like. Taxes have been cut, the income basic rate of tax has been dropped from 20% to 19% and the planned national insurance rise has been scrapped because Khoateng said it's important that British people keep more of the money they earn so that he doesn't have to increase your wages and can deprive the health service of funds at the same time. Two birds brutally pummeled to death with a very large stone. He's also cut the top rate of tax from 45% to 40%, but it will benefit you, though. I mean, look at it this way. If you're earning £20,000 a year, you will now save a whole £167, which you can put towards that £3,000 energy bill or food shop where butter costs more than buying a football club. Whereas if you're on £200,000 a year, you'll save £5,000, and that's totally fair, that is, because that £5,000 will trickle down to everyone else via um, the expensive soaps that you'll buy with it, and then they'll get washed down the sink, and if the rest of us stand, at the base of their drainpipes will get a lovely, fragrant waft of them every now and then. And that is equality. That is right there. Quasi Quarting wants to keep cutting taxes too and release people of the tax burden. And he's right. Tax is indeed a burden. I mean, not in general, but right now, when it directly funds destructive wankers like him, then I'd much prefer to not fund him not funding anything. Actually, scrap that. I'd like to pay tax and then get an itemised bill for when I do. Though I bet Quarting would add a hefty service charge. His idea is that cutting tax funds investment, and by cutting corporation tax too, loads of companies will see the UK as somewhere they too can dump shit into the rivers and not be able to sell things to the EU. But we already have the lowest corporation tax in the G7, and it hasn't helped at all so far, so it's possible, just maybe, that it wasn't the corporation tax that was keeping them away, and maybe, just possibly, it's knowing that the country is governed by people who would be underqualified to run an egg and spoon race, let alone the UK. Remember not so long ago raising taxes was the only way to fix the economy and now lowering taxes is the only way to fix the economy and it's possible at Tory HQ they just have a large wheel with shit politics on it and they see what it lands on the night before. They probably borrowed it from ITVs this morning. Popping into Parliament on one of the only days he's been to work since July 22nd, the Chancellor announced that he'd be tightening rules on Universal Credit to ensure people work more. If you do less than 15 hours a week, you'll have to take up even more steps to find work, even though doing all those steps will take up so much time you won't be able to work in them. The idea that the economy is down due to people not working enough, that is true, but the people in question are all MPs. The cap on bankers bonuses is to be lifted, thank Christ, I mean, haven't they been through enough? Finally, a lifeline to the people who can't quite fill their swimming pools in their fourth house full of cash, and now they can. And I think it's great that they've got another free reign on cash after the last one that caused a crash, and then the one after that to fix the crash that they caused that we had to then pay off. Huateng says such a move will attract top talent to the city, but I think they'll be all too busy doing mass Dancer or Strictly, so it's likely it'll just be the same money-grabbing cunts that were there before. Oh, wait, sorry, does he mean in terms of the drug dealers? Ah, uh, yeah, no, that makes loads more sense. I reckon they'll all be in that area of town before long. No wonder Kua was giggling with glee at the Queen's funeral like he too had been nostril-diving into happy snow because, well, he probably was, but also he knew that everyone else attending would be even richer by Friday and he wouldn't even have to justify the figures or provide a forecast for what might happen. He just kept saying it'll boost growth. Of what? The financial ravine the country's in, the shit creek we're paddling in, tremors, poverty and ambulance waiting times, or maybe just sheer animosity towards the Tories. I mean, not from the papers, of course, who already called it a real Tory budget. Well, yes, it is, in that it's full of the worst ideas anyone's ever had, and no one gave them a mandate to do it. Sticking a real Tory before any idea is now just a sign it's going to be horrendous, isn't it? Finally, a real Tory theme park, they say, as children are stuck upside down for eight days on the one ride in a polluted gravel pit operated by people who get paid only in tokens to use at the park's vendors, which are all closed due to understaffing. Kuateng may not be providing any details or forecasts, but after his announcement, the pound plummeted in value against the dollar, and then the euro, and then even bitcoin, prompting the concern that we're days away from the Chancellor selling the pound as an NFT to one of his friends, and then even when we earn money, someone else will just show a picture of it and spend it before we can. And then it plummeted again later that day, and then it plummeted on Monday morning so super hard that it was almost like it was saying, I'm not coming back guys, I'm gone for good. It does mean, though, that we can now breathe a sigh of relief that perhaps the entire country's assets won't be bought by soulless corporations, but possibly also, you know, tourists who pop over for a week and think it's well worth one of their travellers' checks to now own all of Western Under Lizard. Crispin Odie, a sort of what-if-Billy-Bunter-followed-Sauron sort of a man, and also a hedge fund manager and current employer of Kwasi Kwarteng as a political advisor for his asset management company – well, him, his funds were boosted by 145% on Friday, having betted against the pound. Much like he did when Brexit happened too, which he backed. A coincidence, I'm sure. I mean, these things just happen, right? I mean, chances are, if and when O'Day asked Kuateng to take such action that it would be beneficial to him, the chancellor is too off his tits to listen anyway, and it's just because he's only interested in money and wishing poor people were dead that he did it. Is it a conflict of interests, or is it that all the people in these positions have exactly the same interests, and it's to make sure everyone with less money has the worst life ever? We're gonna rub a rubber chicken and Prime Minister Liz Truss said in advance of the mini-budget that she wasn't afraid of making difficult decisions like giving bankers bigger bonuses. But, I mean, that's not really a difficult decision, is it? It's a shit decision, and if she finds making the worst shit decisions very hard, then we'd all much prefer it if Liz Truss only made easy decisions. I mean, there's no need for her to make her job harder at all. Just, just go with the one everyone likes. Go on, Liz. No one will mind or call you a slacker. Truss said she was willing to be unpopular as Prime Minister, which I think is quite funny as she doesn't really have a choice if that happens or not. That's like me saying I'm willing to be picked last to play on the football team or not even get invited to watch or even have friends that play football in the first place. Trust set off to meet US President and want to feel old? This is what Ness from Earthbound looks like now, Joe Biden, last week. But without her Chief of Staff and colourless Christopher Biggins, Mark Fulbrook, because he's being investigated by the FBI as a witness to alleged bribery. Number 10, of course, insisted Fulbrook didn't go to the US with trust because actually he was working on government business. But it's since been revealed that he's being paid his salary by his lobbying firm and is only seconded to Number 10 in an arrangement that they're refusing to explain. But Mark Fulbrook insists it's not for tax benefits, even though Kua brought in reforms to make this even easier to do. So, is Mark Fulbrook just part-time at number 10 because I guess the rest of the cabinet are, or more likely is this all shadier than Adam Levine's choices for the names of his kids? Liz Truss doesn't have an ethics advisor, remember? But because she knows the difference between right and wrong and refuses to have any of the former in her cabinet in case they snitch on the others. Trust did meet with Biden, but not before warning that a US trade deal with the UK was unlikely to happen anytime soon, which is funny because we were told it was all sewn up post-Brexit. I wonder if it's one of those things that sort of gets lost in translation where in English it's like, oh, this deal is done. But in America, that means this is never fucking happening, especially if you fuck up Ireland again. Oh no, I mean, who's going to buy the NHS now? Oh, that's right, absolutely any tourist who's got a few coins left in their own currency when they pop over for a city break. Truss announced this during an interview on the 102nd floor of the Empire State Building, probably thinking it would give her some sort of status, but really just more strongly connecting her government to the film Oblivion. The meeting with the President was about Ukraine and also ensuring the UK government prioritised peace in Northern Ireland, which Liz Truss is going to do by forgetting about it entirely and hoping that means it's sorted. Biden had tweeted just the day before that he's sick of trickle-down economics. It has never worked, so I'm pretty sure the two of them had loads to talk about. This is all disaster capitalism. Yes, that term is essentially the same word twice, a double negative, if you will. We've seen it before over the last 12 years of the same people who keep saying they're different people. And yet this government, as headed up by Liz Truss, are full speed ahead driving a bulldozer into society in an even more vicious way. They've only been in power for 20 days. Well, if you exclude the 4,383 that they were already in power, but it was definitely someone else. And in that time, we have fiscal policy that sees a recession and decides its best bet is to shave it all off and pretend we're born by choice. And then we've got what if a mushroom was depressed Therese Kofi as health secretary says she'll reduce ambulance and appointment waiting times but also says they'll be scrapped. I mean I suppose that is one way to reduce them. I guess she'll also reduce the amount of people who need hospital care by just cutting off the 999 phone lines so they can't get through and therefore they're probably fine. Home Secretary and did someone ask a child to make a picture of Elmo out of turnips, Suella Braverman, has insisted the police cut all crimes by 20%, That hasn't really said how they should do it. Of course, they could just arrest themselves and members of the Conservative Party, and that should erase most of that. But the only details Braverman has given is that they have to stop symbolic gestures, which would have been great to hear before the Queen's funeral. The Home Secretary does, of course, mean scrapping things like diversity training, which, let's be fair, in the case of the Met, just seems to have helped officers work out how to unfairly target. And it's said that actually they need to focus more on drug-fuelled crimes and vandalism. So again, locking up most of the Cabinet should cover that. And the most literally destructive of them all, the business secretary and man who you can only really see in his true form at the edges of your peripheral vision, Jacob Rees-Mogg, has announced the overturning of the fracking ban. Is it just because he hopes it'll unleash ancient soul-eating spirits from deep within the earth that he'll then control with spells from his book of Ibon to become all-powerful? Or is it because he's got investments with fossil fuel firms he doesn't need as he's set to make even more millions selling off his investment firm that was set up with the help from Crispin O'Day? There he is again. I mean, are all of these policies that come up with themselves... Or is it that someone like O'Day or another donor just handed the trust government a Christmas wish list and said pretty please? There was an announcement that they'd be overturning a ban on foie gras and fur as well, and there can be no political reason for that other than it's because Crispin loves spending every Thursday smearing goose fat on his groin while lying on a bed of dead minks. Rees-Mogg said they'd been opposition to more fracking, but stories said the critics were funded by Putin. Considering much of it has come from within his own party, he's probably right. Growth. That is what it's all about. And while some people's wallets get much, much fatter, hopefully the rest of the country will grow tired of having a government that is essentially running things like a criminal racket. Unfortunately for the rest of us, the opposition see that racket and think rather than bring it down, they should play friendly tennis against it. The shadow chancellor, and definitely an evil head teacher in a children's drama, Rachel Reeves, spoke after the mini-budget announcement and thanked Kwa Teng for demolishing the Tories' record of the last 12 years, which he has in one way by overturning what all the previous chancellors have done. But at the same time, their record for the last 12 years has been to fuck absolutely everything up, and they're very much continuing to do that, but you know, even more. Reeves accused the Tories of being detached from reality, which they are, and siding with the wealthy, which they do. But also Reeves absolutely doesn't do, you know, with her donations from millionaires and companies that she fails to disclose. What will Labour do regarding Kuateng's announcements? Well, they won't reverse all of them, just the 5% of the top rate of tax, but they're not going to, like, push it any more than that because they don't want their donors to be upset. Nor would they reverse the 1p cut on income tax because that would mean they'd have to raise workers' wages. And then what would their donors say? There is such a fear of offering an actual different future from Labour that all they present is a watered-down version of what we currently have, like Tory squash, which is still very bad for you, but at least you're slightly more hydrated and you won't have to consume quite so much trickle-down piss. Based on current polls and the idea we'll ever have an election again, Labour is set to win a 56-seat majority by simply being there like the drunk rebound before you wake up the next day and realise you've made a terrible mistake and would have been much better just staying in. Or you know, like 2012-2013 where Labour were in the lead and still lost the next election because of a sandwich. The Labour conference in Liverpool this weekend started with party leader and man who looks like he's made of strawberry refresher bars pushed into a suit, Keir Starmer, leading the conference in a rendition of the national anthem with a giant banner showing a picture of the Queen above them. Yes, nothing like the party that is for the many singing about hoping a monarch will reign over everyone for ages. I mean, why stop there? Why not prove how patriotic you are by having the whole event in a wicker memorial to the Queen, draped in slabs of British beef and fish, and set it alight after your final words? Maybe just fill everyone's lunchboxes with boots for licking and end the conference by giving everyone a complimentary tattoo of the Union flag right on their genitals. Let's commit to honouring the late Queen's memory," said Starmer, forgetting that the best way to do that would be to keep his initial leadership pledge to tackle low pay for workers, and then all that extra cash they'd get would have her face on it, so he wouldn't have had to shell out for a banner at all. Labour have launched their roadmap to a fairer, greener future, which really should have been a footpath or cycle lane if that's what they want. It definitely has some glimpses of what could be good and very necessary ideas, you know, if they hope to develop them beyond sound bites or keep them for longer than a year. Starmer's ambition is to be off fossil fuels by 2030, but I mean, it can be hard to change when you're addicted like that. It does explain quite a lot if he gets up every day and huffs coal. Good luck to him, I say. Labour have also pledged to bring the railways back into public contracts, which is good and on the right track in all sense of the word. It's only as current contracts expire, so I very much expect Liz Truss's government to quickly sign several 20-year contracts before they get booted out in order to ruin it. What the roadmap doesn't contain is any possibility of electoral reform, despite many of the party members calling for it, and it is going to be debated at the conference. Starmer says it's not a priority, because then I suppose people's votes would matter, and that'd really ruin in getting to sing about having a king. Of course, it's great that the Conservatives may well lose the next election, even if by 2024, if that's when it is, all we have left of the UK is the City of London, then vast swamplands or cracked earth, with elections having to take place by collecting sticks that aren't too covered in shit. But it would still be nice to have the prospect of an even better future than we have at the moment, which is like now, but only 95% as bad it still seems that sadly the only way Labour can give out a clear vision is when it's a massive screen with the Queen's face on it. Still, I suppose that's slightly better than just basing all your policies around Crispin O'Day's cock. Apparently, rumours have it that Conservative MPs are already putting in letters of no confidence to the 1922 Committee Against Trust. This is the thing, with a party built on horse racing fans, they think if they back the wrong one, they can just have it put down when it fails and get another. Well, nothing will get the public back on side like another three months of leadership elections while everyone else can't eat and US tourists pick up parts of Norfolk for less than the cost of an assault rifle. However, the 1922 committee say Liz Truss will still have a year before any of those letters can come into play. So we can look forward to this time in 2023 when the pound has become an anti currency, and in order to swap it for even one euro, you'll have to give up a couple of lungs or your firstborn. In Russia, Russian President and Vladimir, always in the middle of a difficult poo, Putin has stepped up drafting troops to continue fighting in Ukraine, saying that the West is engaging in nuclear blackmail. I mean, I'm not saying he's falling apart, but now Putin is threatened by Kanye. Thing is, I'm pretty sure it's Putin who's been saying that he'll fire all the nukes if the West even thinks about aiding Ukraine, so it'll be a real revelation if the West is actually his nickname for himself, and this has all been to do with a crisis of confidence. The first military mobilisation since World War II has caused anger and mass protests all over Russia, with 2,000 people detained this weekend and massive tailbacks at the border with people trying to leave the country. There is every chance this war will end with no one but Putin himself marching on Ukraine and getting calmly told to sit down and stop being a baby. The Foreign Secretary and face-drawn on an orange, James cleverly confronted Russia over their war atrocities, which must have been a bit like getting a telling off for your behaviour by a flasher in the park. Downing Street said that Putin's move to draft soldiers is a clear admission of his failure, which must be galling for them that despite being involved in an illegal invasion, being responsible for so many deaths and lying about his intentions, Vladimir Putin's still being more transparent on his actions than the UK government have managed in 12 years. And finally, Italy have elected their first ever female Prime Minister. But she's also a fascist, so it's kind of like travelling in the direction of progression, but because you want to start a war with it and kill it off. Giorgia Maloney, looking like the character in a US drama who pretends she's a perfect housewife, but at night murders everyone who wronged her. She is the leader of the Brothers of Italy party, who despite their name sounding like it's lots of men who like to get together, they are strongly homophobic. They're also anti-abortion, very xenophobic, and anti-immigration, but despite that, Maloney says they will govern for everyone, so I'm not really sure how that's going to work. Her party will be in government as part of a right-wing alliance with Lega and Forza Italia, who are the party of former Prime Minister and political Weinstein, Silvia Berlusconi, who've both lost loads of support in recent years. Overall, there's actually more voter preference in Italy for left-wing and centre parties, but like always, they don't get along, so it's allowed the far-right to goose-step through because there's no place for nuanced opinions on their side. Critics say Maloney isn't a fascist, she's just patriotic and she says it like it is, which, depressingly, how it is, is fascism. She uses a phrase that was often used by Mussolini, and her best bud is Hungarian leader and thumb, Viktor Orban, who, yeah, is a fascist. So, you know, if she's not one, she should really get some good PR advice. Sweden, too, have recently elected a far-right government, and the right-wing group in the European Council, the European Conservatives and Reformist Party, will thou be the largest, which is all very worrying. Still, all those boomers that hark everything back to a war they weren't alive for must be pleased, because at least they'll actually get to be around for a fight against fascism now. I mean, probably shouting that actually the real Nazis are those woke lot fighting against them, while they get carted off to a camp because they carried a piece of A4 paper near the king. Hey, Pawpaw Brods, how are you? Feeling that growth? Well, that sounded a bit weird, didn't it? That's not what I meant. I just meant, you know, clearly, you're all just glowing after Friday's mini-budget. As you now know, it's all going to trickle down just as we need it. Any minute now... Any second. A little bit of trickling. Hey, look on the plus side. At least... This show is back to a normal-sized podcast this week. On the downside, that's because there's been news, and it's all been terrible. I mean, actually, not all terrible. There was a bit about um, a boat from 1,200 years ago that was found in the sea, and that was really exciting. But then it was found off the coast of Israel, and so all the comments beneath were really angry about everything except the boat, and so even that wasn't great. No, it was was terrible. I just wanted to know, with that story, because it said on the boat they found sealed olive oil, olives, fish sauce, and supplies like that. Nowhere did it say if anyone had tried any of it. I mean, come on, right? Where's the news we actually need? And demand. I want to know if someone tried over a thousand year old olive oil and then was instantly sick, or if it was like the most refined stuff on earth, ancient olive. Anyway, look. I'm sorry. It's the news I need and demand. Clearly, I spend a good fifty percent of my time worrying that I'm not doing enough and reading everything miserable in sight with the drive to know what's going on. And then the other fifty percent of my time, absolutely regretting doing that because it's all terrible. And thank God there's a new Lord of the Rings show to escape into. Oh no, it's made by Jeff Bezos. Fuck. There is no winning. Um, I should also say that I've just admitted that 100% of my time is self-absorbed despairing of different levels, but I want you to know, in reality, I do occasionally tune into whatever my agent, sorry, daughter is doing, and I've done quite well on Duolingo this week, Um, so I now know how to say, he lives in a tree and his best friend is an owl, or I have a green bike, in French. Um, I don't have a green bike, but if I did, I could, so uh, it's good to be prepared for all eventualities, I say. Um, Not that I'm going to be going to France for a very long time either because one euro is worth uh, probably sort of 25 years of earnings uh, and your pension and the sort of various uh, outer members of your family isn't need to get one of those now um, I hope you're doing okay even though you know everything uh, I've mostly written and recorded this week's episode on Sunday uh, I've done some of it on Monday like this bit now this is on Monday now so I know even more things have happened I know the pound has just plummeted even harder into the ground to the earth's core um, but generally I've probably missed loads of things uh, that have happened today so sorry about that uh, but I was too busy writing about computer games like for money not just fun but I would also do for fun well unless you hire people to write about computer games and you listen to this in which case hi great to meet you and i do still need money though as i can't pay the heating bills with fun um hopefully that's not the case though hopefully there isn't crazy amounts of news today and this stays topical for at least a day this week um and i'm very sure the interview will as well so some quick things before we get to that first quick thing this is episode 285 of this show yes really yes i've wasted that much of my life on this That's awful, isn't it? Just horrendous. But it also means in approximately 15 weeks' time, give or take me having a break for my sanity, it will be episode 300, right? 300! That's roughly 6,000 minutes of comedy monologues, goodness knows how many descriptions of politicians, and a comprehensive catalogue of all the shit that's happened since the 13th of January 2016. So, uh, what should I do to market? What should I do for the 300th episode? Is there anything you'd like to hear? Any ideal guests or guests you'd like to see return? Should I answer your questions instead of doing an interview? Um, chances are that any plans I have will be overshadowed by the news. But if you've got any thoughts on what I should do to celebrate the 300th episode of me of me shouting into this microphone, then please do send them over to the partly political broadcast at gmail.com address. Or, you know, just shout at me in Sainsbury's. I'm always in there going, Pazza is how much? uh, You'll see me. I'm, I'm that one. I'm that guy. And the other thing you might have noticed is there's a new British Boxers ad at the top of the show. If you use the code PARPOLBRO15 at the British-boxers.com site, you'll get 15% off. Um, I'm very aware it's a cost-of-living crisis, but if you do need pants, then you can afford decent ones from very decent people, um, I would very much recommend. And also, I get a little bit of dosh if you use that code too, which is far more helpful than paying the heating bills. Um, Or you could just fling dosh at the koficom forward slash PARPOLBRO or join the patreon.com forward slash PARPOLBRO and still have an uncomfortable bum. The choice is yours. Right, on this week's show, I am interviewing Aditi Jahangir at Living Rent all about successfully campaigning for a rent freeze in Scotland. It's actually positive at the end. No, I don't know how either, but lap it up and enjoy it while it lasts.
1: Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact
2: plushcare.com slash weight loss. Home is where the heart is, apparently. Well, unless you're renting in the UK, in which case you have to hand over your heart to a landlord as part of a deposit and they keep it in a safe somewhere until you leave and they've removed a bit of it to cover cleaning costs. Housing is consistently one of the many areas of rising inequality in the country, with those at the top end of the wealth ladder, which is attached to a helicopter that's hovering too high for you to grab the bottom of it without another ladder that you can't afford. Well, those lot, they all have at least a million houses each. I've taken that from official figures, obviously. While everyone being told that they don't have enough income to get on the bottom rung is unlikely to ever own a home or even rent somewhere with any security at all. Private rent prices paid by tenants in the UK rose 3% in the 12 months to last April, with it being 3.5% in Scotland, and tenants in social housing have seen theirs increase by 4.1%. All the while, wages have, as you know, basically started trying to tunnel their way to Australia, I guess to join the pound. There is no right to housing in the UK. The Human Rights Act protects our right to enjoy possessions, but if you're living in someone else's home, then they can enjoy you selling off all your possessions to pay to live in their cupboard that they can't be bothered to fix the heating for. The average person in the UK spends more than 35 to 40% of their income on rent. And if you're above average and even slightly interesting or handsome, it's probably more. Actually, I have no idea. I was just basing that on my own situation. But for those landlords who actually still have a mortgage to pay off, they'll be seeing big increases in their monthly payments that they will say totally justifies charging tenants at least six times that for them to earn a living, letting you stay in that cupboard. And you should be grateful for all the space you have in there for your clothes and self and your brand new cockroach friends. So, what can be done? There was absolutely nothing in Kwarteng's mini-budget about rent controls because this is a man who prefers to let lobbyists buy his policy space outright. But in Scotland, freezing rents has been part of a package of measures the Scottish Government have brought in to ease the cost-of-living crisis this winter. I mean, only till March, obviously, but by then it'll be a bit warmer for you to sleep outdoors. Well, actually, not that much warmer in Scotland. It's still a big move and one that were it replicated around the rest of the UK would have an absolutely massive impact for over 5 million households. But how were the Scottish Government persuaded to make that decision and can the Westminster Government be persuaded to do the same? Ha! I mean, of course not, but you know, it's nice to pretend a bit, isn't it? This week I spoke to Aditi Jahangir at Living Rent, the union in Scotland for low and middle income renters whose campaign to freeze rents was pivotal to the Scottish Government's decision in doing so. I asked Aditi about why renting in Scotland is quite so difficult right now, if the plans to freeze rent till March are enough, and just how they managed to successfully campaign for that result. Aditi even manages to somehow be positive at the end of this chat, which genuinely perked me up after having spent the morning watching Kwarteng drone on about how he's making your life better by making it worse. So I hope you enjoy and find this as informative and even hopeful a chat as I did. Here is Aditi. Hi, Aditi. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast this week. Um, you know, I'm I'm uh, I'm not in Scotland. I'm down in the south, and so I wonder if you could just start by explaining to me what the situation for tenants in Scotland is right now, and and what are the biggest problems? Is it a lack of properties in Scotland? Is it rising rent prices? Is it all of that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. This is not a great time for tenants, um, though. All if we are really excited that we have um, had a rent freeze in the past few weeks which is great news for tenants um, as sort of an emergency move, but um, problems have been building for years, really. Uh, I'd say it's kind of a mixture of of all of those factors. Um, There's definitely really high rent prices at the moment, um, which means there's incredibly high competition for flats. There's um, lots of different people um, who... Are really really struggling for finding anywhere at the moment. So I'm from Living Rent, uh, Scotland's tenants union and we're made up of thousands of members all across Scotland uh, who are tenants who are all fighting for a better housing system. So we've heard lots of different stories from our members of loads of really high rent hikes, um, people having to bid for flats fine find six months run up front. Um, at the moment, it's um, kind of around September, so university students are heading back and it's absolute chaos, especially in Edinburgh and Glasgow, but also, you know, up in Dundee, Aberdeen, St Andrews, um, anywhere, the sort of uni places. Um, for the first time, I think University of Glasgow has not guaranteed accommodation for their first year students. Um, so that means, you know, some people are going to have to drop out of their course potentially, Um, there's you know students in their later years as well really really struggling we know of people uh, who are really can you know just like living on people's sofas and things at the moment which it's just it's really really difficult for everyone that's putting like an enormous strain Um, so thinking of that as well I mean lots of universities have just massively upped intakes over the years uh, for obvious reasons of money Um, so there's lots of different reasons I think contributing to the housing crisis Uh, you know we absolutely do need to build more social housing for people um, and that's something that's we've definitely seen go down and that commitment that we've heard time and time again has has not really borne through in social housing that has appeared or been built but absolutely at the moment rent prices are really really high they've risen 63% in the last decade in Edinburgh and Glasgow and obviously none of our wages have gone up by that in the last decade Um, unfortunately. So, yeah, I think even though we're, we're happy about the rent freeze at the moment, it, it doesn't really go far enough. And we've still got a lot of unanswered questions about it.
2: Yeah, so I I, wanna, I definitely want to ask you more about the rent freeze. I mean, I, I was just going to say that, uh, you know, I know Living Rent has, has lots of different uh, sort of local groups. Are there particular areas in Scotland that, that are worse right now? Is it affecting sort of the bigger cities more this crisis? <sighs>
0: Well, it's quite different depending on on different areas in Scotland, really. Um, Obviously, there are more sort of private renters and social renters in in cities and that is where we have the most membership at the moment but we are kind of expanding all across scotland um, and there are lots of issues which are in common Uh, for example in the highlands and islands um, there's a really big problem with short-term lets and airbnb which is again something that we really struggle with particularly in edinburgh so that's sort of a nationwide campaign that's being tackled in in a few different ways so where there's lots of of different Intricacies in terms of the housing system in Scotland, but um, yeah, I think at the moment in terms of rising rent prices, that just, that is something that affects everyone across Scotland. But it sort of depends on the structure of where of where there are more renters. But uh, you know, it's all in conjunction with house prices and the other mess that makes up the housing system in the UK as a whole as well.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, you say, that's that's affecting everywhere right now because, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm a renter in London and, as, as I'm sure you know, it is absolutely horrible down here. And, um, you know, I, I wonder what, what are tenants' rights like in Scotland? Because obviously that's dictated by the Scottish government, um, isn't it, I believe? rather than UK I, I this is where I always get a bit wrong with my whats Scottish law what's uh, sort of uh, UK law but uh, I believe it right rights dictated by a Scottish government so are they are they sort of better than you might see in the rest of the UK are they pretty bad how do they need to be that laugh gave a lot finished the question um you know I, I was going to ask how how do they need to be approved is, is it most is the power still mostly in the hands of, of landlords
0: yeah absolutely I'd say. Scottish government, similar to UK government, is still made up quite heavily of lots of landlords who are in power. Um, So, for instance, yesterday in Edinburgh Council, um, a councillor brought forward a motion to extend the rent freeze to council tenants um, in the city as well, and to sort of keep that rent freeze in place until rent controls are there, because otherwise it's a bit meaningless because landlords can just jack up rent prices when the rent freeze finishes. And uh, during that vote... um, councillors who were tenants were blocked from voting councillors who were landlords were also blocked from voting but that's not something that we often see on housing votes at a Scottish government level Um, and it's incredibly frustrating because tenants and landlords just absolutely are not in the same position and tenants should be able to represent their constituents uh, which I'm sure everyone would agree in terms of fairness Uh, so that was incredibly frustrating but we're glad to see that has passed Um, but yeah i think in terms of of similarities tenants are still very much at the mercy of landlords um many properties in scotland are in disrepair about 65% of private rented flats in scotland have disrepair to critical elements and i think there's definitely you know differences in kind of housing policy and how things work um living rent is is now a tenants union but we started off as a campaign group in 2014 uh, campaigning around um, sort of greatest legislative change for tenants so that mm. brought forward uh, the introduction of the private residential tenancy contract in around then 20, 2017 <laughs> I believe uh, don't quote me on the, on the years but that Sorry, um, listeners can
2: google afterwards <laughs> yeah I, I have no idea so you're
0: fine, yeah <laughs> uh, so that means that tenants have a little bit more flexibility in terms of having we have rolling leases and uh, slightly greater protection from evictions than done in England and Wales but you know there's still a lot that we can do and uh, as time went forward we decided that the best structure for our group would be a union so now we're just paying union similar to a trade union and we have a number of different ways that we try to to bring about change um but yeah i think definitely tenants rights are not where they should be um as well as sort of that disrepair you know of course with the cost of living crisis um lots of homes in scotland it rented homes are extremely cold and extremely poorly insulated again that is not something that's particular to scotland but it is cold here <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so as well as you know bringing rents down i think we need to have a focus on on retrofitting houses that so they're actually able to to hold the heat that we are paying extortionate amounts of money for otherwise it's literally flying out the window. so um yeah, lots of different fronts that I think we need to fight on but um definitely ways that I think we can sort of share and learn in the struggle for tenants rights across across the UK.
2: Yeah, absolutely. But but you know, one of the things, as you mentioned already, that I know that living, you were campaigning on on a rent freeze, uh, and this you know, and it being necessary, it has come through. You said it's obviously not as good as it should be. I mean, one one of the things that you've already mentioned is that uh, luckily that that bill has passed, so that prices won't just immediately get raised in March. But I did see that it was only till March, and that was the immediate thought I went to: uh, won't there just be evictions? Once this is over, won't there just be price changes? What, what, how, how? You must have been over the moon when it came through, but how have you felt about it since learning about the details?
0: I mean, we haven't learned about the details to be honest. <laughs> but there's still quite a lot to to be answered, um, especially because as it's this moment, at the moment, the rent freeze only really applies to private tenants because social and council tenants get a rent increase in April. Uh, so obviously, that's already happened. So we need to see whether this can be extended until then. Um, so we've been pushing for a rent freeze as very much as an emergency motion, but we really need to see the introduction of rent controls to bring those prices of rents down. Uh, so we at Living rent endorse a point based system of rent controls, um, which uh, where the price of the property is tied to the quality. So it incentivizes landlords to keep up repairs. Um, earlier this year, we were campaigning around a big consultation the Scottish government had around um, rent controls. And we got over 7000 responses through a petition that we had sort of out in street stalls and door knocking and online where everybody where people were endorsing our vision of rent controls. So they're, they're, there's clearly very popular support for it, but it is difficult because there's also very uh, popular support for landlords from landlords in positions of power um everywhere really. So it's difficult, I think. Um I think it is easy to see the rent freeze as automatically great and that's the kind of done. But we have a lot more that we still need to be doing and you know lots more that we're we're working on at the moment. Um we don't but we don't yet know um how the rent freeze is going to be applied. You know, for people who received a rent increase notice in that week will it will apply to them. There's a lot of people hanging in the balance. Um, because this is you know, good for now, but also people's rents have been increasing for years and lots of people have been forced to move out of their homes because they couldn't afford the rent in the past few months. So we're also questioning why at this point rather than earlier was the rent pre applied?
2: I, I, I'm going to be slight devil's advocate. As I, I already mentioned, I'm, I'm a renter, so I'm, I'm firmly on the side of tenants. But, yeah. the, uh, but you know, one of the arguments I always see on Twitter is like landlords go, well, we've had an increase in our mortgage and interest rates are going up and, and uh, you know, it's not fair on us. Is, what is the correct reply to that? Because, uh, you know, not that I have, uh, uh, I, should, I should, my bias, I don't have much sympathy for but obviously <laughs> it's is an issue. You know, obviously more, we've just had an interest rate increase again today. Um is it, how, how do you kind of counter that argument? What's what's the best way to counter it is what I should ask, for my own for my own social media experience. Yeah,
0: well, you have to take a deep breath first and stop staring. <laughs> <laughs> this is my first advice. Don't reply to anyone that just is like an egg uh, or like a no profile yeah. picture because yeah. it's it never yeah, goes nice. well. I broke my own advice yesterday and almost got in an argument with someone, but I just stepped <laughs> back. <laughs> no, but um, in a serious way, I think, you know, housing is a volatile market and landlords know that when they get into the market um, so if things go up and down it's not really the burden of tenants to shoulder that responsibility because they are in the power they you know own our homes and are charging far above one would imagine most house rents are far above the mortgage rates and it's very difficult for tenants to argue against that and um, you know before the rent freeze, or just generally in Scotland, if you want to contest a rent rise, you take it to a tribunal, and all they look at are the market rates, which is just just whatever landlords want to do. And ultimately at a tribunal, they can decide that your rent should go up rather than go down, which is horrifying. So it's quite a difficult option for tenants to take. Um, So I think it's far more, difficult for tenants to get by than it is for landlords um and I don't think we should be expected to take on their costs um ultimately we shouldn't make it so that being a landlord is a job these are our homes and housing is a human right so um again I don't have much sympathy for them but I think yeah it's it's, it's difficult because I think you can't just pass on those costs on to tenants who are already struggling who it don't have that property asset to their name as well
2: yeah yeah i mean it's it's the, the timing as well as with the energy crisis with the cost of living crisis to then increase rents on top of that is just so cruel it feels so very cruel and you know this is um perhaps, perhaps on a slight tangent but I always feel like, you know, you hear about sort of uh, renting in many other countries. France, it's a really normal thing to do in France. Um, and obviously, there are places where it's horrific, like Hong Kong is, I know, particularly terrible. But are, are Scotland and, and the UK as a whole kind of an outlier when it comes to tenants' rights? Does it feel that landlords have a particular level of power here that they don't have in other places around the world? Because it, it just seems like such a, a, as you say, a volatile market.
0: Yeah, I suppose, you know, we can kind of look to the past a little bit. And we we have had rent controls in, in the past. Um, so we're definitely we can get back to that. But I think we can't overstate the impact of Thatcher on politics as a whole, um, which is something that we have definitely seen today with um, the rise of the Chancellor's new budget, which is great, great news for for all of us. Um, but I think as well, there's sort of that cultural aspect um, in a lot of continental European countries. But well, I'm thinking maybe particularly of Germany or France, um, you know, there's less of a culture of home ownership than here. Mm. Um, so there is, you know, maybe I think something that we find really when we talk to people and, and ask if they want to get involved in sort of the tenancy union movement is very much that they don't want to be a tenant ever, you know, that the ultimate goal is home ownership so why would they want to make renting better is very much viewed as this is just what you do when you don't have enough money to uh, own a house which I don't think is necessarily the case I think that the rental system doesn't have to be so terrible I think it's terrible by design and it's terrible politically but um, we as tenants have political power uh, when we band together so I think we do have the option of making it better. And as I kind of referred to before as well, landlords have such a chokehold on that political power um, in in the UK, um, at both Westminster and Holyrood, and there's huge amounts of MPs and MSPs who are landlords. I don't know precisely how that figure would compare to other countries, but I think that is still quite astounding that people who own property and rent it out are in charge of our political decisions about renting and how that works in the country. Uh, So I, yeah, I I think I can only speak from my own experience as someone who's lived in the UK um, pretty much their whole life. So, um, yeah, that's kind of how I see it in terms of, of the tenants' rights situation here. But again, you know, I think there's lots we can learn from other countries and sort of take from the way that they manage tenants unions and things, um, which is great.
2: Yeah. I always think it's sort of a shame that sort of renting is seen as like, Oh, you can't buy a house; you have to rent. When yeah, in other countries, it's perfectly normal to rent, and it's there's loads of boons to it, like not having to fix your own boiler and things like that. It's brilliant. So (laughs) you know, it's a shame it's such a pain. But it's you know, um, bearing in mind that there is such a a large amount of uh, MPs, Westminster MSPs in Scottish government who who are landlords, and you know, there is a real uh, sort of force behind uh, landlords, uh, a political force. You know how how. you know, what, what can we learn from your successful campaign as, as living rent? You you were successful in obviously there's there's issues with the rent freeze, but it you know, you were campaigning for it. I know you've helped a lot of individuals, um, but this was a big sort of national campaign. How did you manage it? And what um could other sort of uh campaigns outside outside of Scotland learn about this? Um I know there's the brilliant London Renters Union, but there's a lot of other localized ones. How do you how do you tackle a sort of national issue like this? Um and is it is it something you think could be done elsewhere?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Like, I'd love to see rent freezes in lots of other places. Uh, I think, you know, there is really clear demand for it from people and um, thinking about rent controls. I think something that the pandemic has really brought forward is that people are really willing to have conversations about how we can change things and maybe question systems that we thought would be here forever. Um, so I think we've really tapped into that community power. I think people care so much about our homes and our neighbourhoods that. It, it isn't hard to get people to to feel powerfully about it. It's to get people organised is the challenge. Uh, so we have a few different ways that we operate as a union, kind of thinking through like national legislative change. So we have national campaigns around the push for rent controls, around the climate crisis, around short-term lets. And then on a more local level, uh, we have sort of community change. So we have different branches and groups all across Scotland to build power from the, the bottom up, really. Um, so trying to build power at the neighbourhood level. Um, So I'm the chair of a branch in Gorgidal Rai in Edinburgh. And our current local campaign is about getting more public toilets in the area. So kind of building power through reaching to, out to new people, like getting more people Um on board with sort of the tenant union movement um and then as well this direct action that we do through sort of member defense and supporting people with rent increases supporting people with illegal evictions supporting people who are having repairs done um one of our members in our branch uh, won four thousand pounds back a few months ago uh, because they had no heating or hot water for over a year so right. it's It's kind of a combination of it all, I think. And I think we've really been able to put housing um, and rental reform sort of on the political landscape in a lot of ways through these different ways, sort of meeting with politicians uh, at different levels, at sort of council and national levels, and just having that membership as well. That's hopefully always growing too. Um, But I think people do already care so much about where they live and it's it's just about getting people to see that we we can have power together um and i think we've had some really inspiring wins you know we were able to bring about some greater protection for tenants through the prt contract we won a winter eviction ban during the pandemic um and you know we've won thousands of pounds back for members we've won you know people being able to stay in their homes a bit longer if they were being illegally evicted you know, there's lots of different things that we keep sort of growing and moving towards, which, which is great. So I think really having that focus on, on sort of that community aspect and building power that way rather than trying. I think um, maybe if we were more of like a campaign structure, it is quite easy for people to get burnt out. But I think having sort of local branches and, and working on things from, from the community level upwards means that we have a more sustainable structure.
2: It's. It seems like such an absolutely brilliant way to do it, and I think everything you've done has, has been so fantastic. And I know, I know, I know uh, it's sort of, uh, the rest of, uh, especially down in London, we're looking at the uh, the red freeze going. Oh, I'm really envious and so like brilliant, but also slightly jealous. Yeah. Um, coming, coming <laughs> next,
0: coming next to England. <laughs> we, we hope.
2: Exactly. <laughs> it is, well, it is, it is such a major issue in, in politics right now, and I think it's often. It's 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 never really talked about enough in, uh, across the UK, uh, and the housing ministers often uh, the housing minister, West, uh, is an MP NMP, um, who's often using it as a stepping stone to get somewhere else. But it's it's probably one of the biggest crises we have. Um, so no, it's it's amazing what you're doing, and, and I, I just wanted to ask as the last question really, which is you know apart from yourself and, and living rent, um, are are there other organisations, campaigns, uh, or people that you would recommend listeners follow or check out for sort of good work on on rights to affordable housing? Obviously, um, we have got lots of listeners. In scotland and they'll check you out are there any other localized groups that you'd recommend or or even sort of national ones
0: yeah of course um so i think you already mentioned london london renters union who do a really great job down in london and as well um our sister organization in england acorn uh, has lots of different branches and groups in england and wales with that focus on community uh issues so they were a founding member of enough is enough who we're affiliated to now in scotland as well so, um, yeah, really excited to see what's going to be happening in terms of Enough is Enough. We had a really amazing Scotland launch for it uh, a couple of weeks ago where one of our members, Annie, did, did an amazing speech. And that was, I think, a good example of sort of that that solidarity between different organisations. So something we've been doing as a union a lot over summer is strike solidarity with absolutely everyone who's been on strike, which has been really amazing to kind of build those connections and, and strengthen things up because I think all of our struggles are, are really connected. You know, obviously, like, we can't pay our rents if our wages go down. We can't afford to heat our homes if our bills are so high and it's an, an incredibly drafty home. So we see everything as incredibly interconnected. Um, so, yeah, really, really excited um, at this moment, even though it seems like everything is terrible which it is, (laughs) Um, but I think it's a really momentous moment in terms of thinking about where we go next, and it's really inspiring to see so many people engage that maybe felt really politically hopeless for the last few years and to finally stand up and say, you know, this this is not okay, enough is enough. Like, we've had too much of politicians treating us like we are just to be used, really. Um, so I think we can all build on our wins and a victory for one of us is, is a victory for all, really. So I think, um, yeah, just just carry on seeing seeing what everyone else is doing, really. I know that October 1st is going to be a, a big day for lots of action um, uh, all over the UK. I know that there are many, many different groups, including Enough Is Enough, planning lots of, uh, of movement and, and protests. So... I'd advise people to, to get along to one or, you know, maybe just head down to picket line if you know someone that's on strike near you and just, just have a chat with someone.
2: Thanks so much to Aditi for having time to chat. You can find Living Rent at livingrent.org where you can find all of their campaigns and details on how to join if you're a listener in Scotland. They're on Twitter at Living underscore Rent, Living Rent Scotland on Facebook, and they're on Instagram too, as well as many accounts for all of their different local groups. Big, big thanks to Pablo, who recommended I speak to a DT quite some time ago. Sorry it's taken so long. That was quite a nice hopeful chat, wasn't it? Which is rare at the moment. Um, But in these endlessly sparing times... What else would you like to hear about? Who shall I chat to? More worldly things? More local things? What campaigns? Send all thoughts, wisdoms or fevered dream annotations about possible guests to broadcast at gmail.com. And that is it for this week's Partly Political Broadcast podcast. Um, Next week will be knee-deep in conference season, so in order to get ready for what will be my nuanced political debates on how many swears I can fit into the intro to remotely convey how frustrating all possible political directions the country is going in will be, why not make sure you're subscribed to this here podcast? Tell others who may enjoy it to subscribe too, give it a review on one of the podcast sites, and if you're one of the three people that benefited from the mini-budget on Friday, maybe donate to the code for your Patreon too. Merci beaucoup to Acast, my brother-in-law, sceptic, and Cat Day. And this will be back next week when the pound falls so low that it becomes anti-money and Brits have to pay people to take it. But Kuateng backs it as we now have a cheap metal export and therefore he's restarted British industry, don't you know? Bye! This week's show is sponsored by Quasi Kuateng's Growth Plan. Feeling small? Wishing you could beef up and get hench to show off down the little? Use Kwarteng's plan of six daily supplements that cost more the less you earn and you will diminish in size until you're so small that you'll become one with ether and really isn't that actually bigger than you ever were to begin with. Growth plan by Kwarteng. For those who know real growth is being strong enough to shrink and die. Please note on full disappearance all your assets will be claimed by Ode Acid Management. <laughs>